0: Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 30th of 2013. I'm Pat Coleman.
1: And I'm Keith McMillan.
0: This is our rundown through the week that was week four in the 2013 Division Three football season. That means, yeah, we're more than a third of the way home, a third of the way to Selection Sunday. A lot of conferences, especially if you're in an eight-team conference and you have to play those seven conference games. You've got uh, seven weeks left to play them. This might have been your last non-conference week or it might have been a bye week. And, you know, if you just glanced at the top 25 scores, maybe you thought this wasn't a particularly great week in Division Three football. But there are a lot of games uh, away from the top 25 and one or two within the, the uh, ranks of the ranked as well to uh, take a look at. And uh, we will run through those for you and uh, kind of touch on some of the big stories. and You've probably listened to this podcast before, so I may not need to explain it in such detail each and every time. There's one game in particular that jumps out at me, uh, Keith, and it's because it's a basketball score uh, involving a school that doesn't actually play basketball. Mass Maritime uh, losing to uh, losing to Worcester State, Worcester of Massachusetts, uh, 64-63. Mass Maritime, because they're a maritime school, their uh, students are out uh, on boats the whole winter So there are no winter sports there whatsoever This is their basketball score And they lost that one sixty four sixty three.
1: 63 Yeah, and it, it sounded like, Pat It was a game for the ages You know, for lack of a better term Just just an insane back and forth And it won at the, on the final seconds But, you know, to, to jump back real quickly To what you said about the week itself It did kind of look like um, Week 4 just wasn't the most exciting matchup Maybe because Um it was the week where a lot of teams had their buy or, uh, you know, you know, teams were, were just getting into the beginning of conference play. And, uh, it, you know, again, if you look at that top 20, the top of that top 25, it really did, uh, the week kind of stunk, you know, to be blunt about it. And then as you work down the rest of the list and you start reading about some of the other games, there really were some outstanding games and, uh, mass maritime Worcester state may have been the outstandingest. If that's a word, we're going to pretend that's a word for right now. Um, the point in it, when this game got really interesting, um, Mass Maritime midway through the second quarter goes up 41 14 in this game on a 100 yard uh, interception return from Kevin Stanton. And, you know, at that point, obviously, uh, Mass Maritime's feeling pretty good about themselves. And uh, Worcester State slowly starts chipping away at that lead, scores six consecutive touchdowns uh, by the end of the third quarter to go up 58 41. So yeah, now they're That's feeling-
0: all just a 44-0 run no, no big deal
1: <laughs> all right so they're feeling pretty good about themselves uh, at that point mass maritime scores uh four times in a row to go back up 68 uh 63 58 and then uh, and that's with 110 left in the game and then Worcester state gets the ball back uh at the you know and and takes it down scores uh as time runs out to win 64 63 and the the Besides the fact that that back-and-forth is amazing, that's the second time that Worcester State this season has scored in the final minute to win a game by one point. They did it two weeks ago against WPI to win 15-14. Kind of a different game uh, you know, when you look at 64-63 and 15-14. But, uh, but the, same, the same type of team, I guess. They they're, uh, never give up on themselves and uh, are, are, have shown themselves to be pretty either lucky or clutch, whichever one you believe in.
0: I always like a game that ends when a team takes the snap and kneels on the conversion because the game is already over and there's no point in, there's no point in snapping the ball.
1: Yeah, right. Only something bad can happen. You, can, you could get it blocked and give up a two-point uh, you know, return and lose the game that way. So At that point, yeah, kneeling on it is actually the safe thing to do. It may be the coaching call of the week, I guess, at this point.
0: Yeah, for those of you who uh, you know, watch those NFL games where they call the teams back out of the locker room to come out and kick that extra point, that doesn't happen in the NFL you're not I mean the, the calling them out happens, but you're not allowed to block an extra point and return it. so I think that uh, that that last extra point is just for the gamblers uh, this one, yeah, you have to you have to know as a coach that you uh, just want to kneel that down um, like after the dramatic ending of uh, the Augsburg St. John's game a couple of years ago, Augsburg was called out of the locker room to uh, to come out and snap the ball for for an extra point, and they did the same thing they knelt on it that's been a crazy conference, and it was a crazy conference on Saturday, too, so far, the the brand new MASCAC, and I, I was, you know, I mentioned in Triple Take, I was really interested to see uh, what Western Connecticut would come out and do uh, against uh, the conference favorite, basically, against Framingham State, and they held their own, which makes me think that Western Connecticut is in a position to be a factor in that race.
1: Yeah, you know, the Western Connecticut was an NJAC team for the past uh, several years, and, and... Uh, you know, it was competitive in the in the late '90s, and and started to actually you can go back to the Paul Pasqualoni days at Western Connecticut. Um, but but then you know had really fallen off the past uh, you know maybe four or five years uh, to the point where they're they their 0 and 10 team, and so moving over to the MASCAC was maybe a better fit for them competitively. And then this is also the same time when. The schedule's opened up because of the, the, the NFC and the MASCAC split. And so we see a lot of New England teams, a lot of the old NFC teams playing NJAC teams this season. And, and, and so it gives us a lot of comparison um, to, to how the teams in the East match up. And those are the type of teams that, that the Framingham States and the Bridgewater States of the world are going to have to beat in the first round of the playoffs if they if they get that far. So it, it's given us a lot of tests. And I didn't mean to, to go way around the circle – and not talk about the game at all. It was fourteen twelve Framingham State. Millie Van Alstine uh, had had the big game, and, and I thought the sc- the score, you know, was was the uh, not outstanding is not the word I'm looking for the the surprising thing to me because uh, you know both of these teams in, in the past few weeks have been able to put a lot of points on the board. And fourteen twelve was uh was a, was a surprising result, but but Framingham State coming out on top.
0: The uh, it, but you raised an interesting point in that end around that you ran there. If we play the 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 score comparison game, the thing you're not supposed to play, you end up with Western Connecticut State looking fairly competitive against Rowan. You know, through that triangle of Framingham State, and you know, I, I think we knew that Western Connecticut would be better, would get better. That I thought that you know Joe Loth coming to coach there would help them out yeah. and it would bounce back a little bit. But if you're trying to play comparative scores compared to how Western Connecticut played against Rowan in the past, uh, I I'm. F- i'm i would say that a 2012 result head-to-head between the two of them would be more instructive as to how those teams would match up today rather than taking the fact that uh framingham lost to rowan 29-19 and framingham beat western connecticut 14-12
1: yeah you know but we we, we like to stretch things like that we
0: like to look gives us something to talk about right
1: right we we like to look uh, further down the line pat you mentioned in the opening of the podcast that we're uh a Third of the way through the season, and or, or third of the way to selection Sunday, and to hear the word selection Sunday already is like is stunning because we're still in September. But uh, but that's what we do.
0: <laughs> I'm just reminded as I pass through last year's scores, I'm sure if you're a Western Connecticut fan and you're listening to this, you're screaming, But we played Rowan well last year. That's true, that's true. Uh, Rowan beat Western Connecticut 30 to 24 into the, right. that was, that was, Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a shocker almost of itself. Uh some of the other games that happened um you know so we talked about a game with a, a lot of offense, we talked about a game with a lot of defense. There are a couple other games in the NJAC as NJAC play uh started up in uh, places this week with a whole lot of defense. Um Rowan and Montclair, uh Rowan going up 7 nothing and and that never changing and uh uh TCNJ Giving Southern Virginia a look at what the N.Jac might be like in beating them seven to two.
1: Yeah, uh, they played defense in New Jersey. That that that's the line this week. They sure did least, this right? week. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll 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 claim that. Yeah, Rowan scored on the third play of the game, and uh, you know they scored. This, instead of scoring early and often, they just scored early and not again, and, and it worked out fine for them. And usually, you see that seven to zero score, and there's some kind of big weather event, but the the box score in the Rowan game says clear and cool wind nine miles an hour. So the weather wasn't really a factor, uh, in the game. It just was a low scoring game. And, uh, Rowan now, you know, at at two and one with, with two wins, uh, two, you know, big wins for them. One being a, being a non-conference game and another being against a, you know, a a usual rival. Uh, uh, now they go back and and maybe kicking themselves for blowing that lead against Del Val. But, um, but, you know, maybe a team we have to keep an eye on for possible uh, contention in the NJAC.
0: And on the other side, uh, TCNJ, who I think, you know, the t- tumultuous kind of off season they had, they, you know, coming off a season in which they were not particularly world beaters, and I think we may have predicted them to go 1-9 and nine or something like that. Um, for them to, you know, and I say they only put seven points on the board, but they held... Uh, they held Southern Virginia to ninety-two yards of total offense. When the Knights yep. join the league next year, that's gonna be a really tough road for them. And I'm not just talking about the highway.
1: No, you're right. It is a long trip from Southern Virginia to New Jersey and, and they'll have to do it several times to play that schedule, but they wanted to get in a conference and, and uh you know if there's there's no openings in, in the conferences closer by, you know, you take what you can get. Now, yeah, you mentioned, Pat, the, the 92 yards, only five first downs, two of 14 on third down. Really an impressive defensive day uh, for TCNJ, and that's good because they weren't all that impressive themselves on offense, just 243 yards. Uh, the touchdown came uh, midway through the second quarter. Actually, very late in the second quarter, sorry. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, I think, as a defensive player to, to, to be out there drive after drive after drive trying to protect a a a very small lead and whether it's 7-2 as it was in this TCNJ game or uh or 7-0 in, in the Montclair State Rowan game. You know, f- for offensive players, you, you constantly think all we have to do is hit one play, hit one play, and it's the same way for a defensive player, especially if you're a cornerback or somebody who's, who's stuck out on that island and every play is, is high pressure because, uh, you know, if you, if you miss one tackle or you give up one big play, it, it's a tie game. So you have to give a lot of credit, I think, to the defenses in, the, uh, in TCNJ and Rowan to, for protecting those leads for quarter after quarter.
0: As uh, Southern Virginia imp- uh, fell to two and two, uh, one and two against Division three schools, and they won't play another D three school until November. They fill their October schedule with a bye, two games against Newport News, Apprentice, uh, Bluefield College, and Warner. And I um, yeah, would have, you'd, I'd be hard pressed to uh, tell you which um, which association Warner and Bluefield College even belong to. But they finished the season at home against Alfred State, and then southwestern comes from. Uh, comes from uh, outside Austin, Texas to uh, head to Southern Virginia for a season finale between two teams who are either new to Division III or new to football altogether. The uh, poll on the front page of D3Football.com here for the early part of this week and, you know, the way things have been going lately, maybe the entire week, is about uh, some of the surprise results, the turnarounds from one week to the next. And one of them was University of Rochester losing and, you know, losing handily, getting uh, you know, getting uh, beat pretty handily at the hands of Gallaudet last week, then turning around and winning against Springfield, handing Springfield its first loss of the season.
1: And, and the most outstanding part of, of this game was the finish. And, you know, you, there's, there's a very zoomed in, very close finish, which was just the very last two plays of the game, but also zoom out a little bit. In the last three and a half minutes, Rochester scores to tie the game. Uh, at 28, and they and they had to hit a two-point conversion to tie it. So they're down 28-20. They score with 3:24 left to tie it, and uh, it was it was a short drive, and um, and they punch it in, get the two-point conversion. Then they got to go back out there on defense, and Springfield goes 64 yards, eight plays, punches it in with 49 seconds left. So now they've given up in the final minute the go-ahead touchdown to springfield and springfield's probably the favorite in this game the team that that most uh, observers would expect to win rochester gets the ball back quickly goes uh, 63 yards seven plays in 40 seconds scores as time runs out and then instead of kicking it to uh, to play overtime they're at home so so they you know the conventional wisdom is you know you play overtime in front of your home your own crowd uh, they could just kick it and um tie it at 35 and take their chances but they go for two they get it they win 36 35 for for maybe the gutsiest decision of the day but when it works out you look like a genius
0: i got several uh photos from dennis o'donnell the sports information director at rochester on saturday uh one of them is uh on the front page and is part of that uh part of that game story or, or part of that uh, front page story and it is a uh, it is a mob scene and for rochester you know they lost by the you know, they lost by the, um. you know, they went, the, there was a two-point conversion involved obviously earlier in the season for them as well. I didn't say they lost by that, although I did say it actually twice. Uh, I didn't mean it. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, then when they won by the two-point conversion back in week two at Teal uh, when they had to score um, had to score late in the game and then again with the two-point conversion to win that game.
1: Yeah, and I guess part of the reason is, you know, they, they don't trust the kicker.
0: Well, I mean, and, and so the reason why they needed two two point conversions in the fourth quarter was because there was a missed PAT earlier in the game.
1: Right, right, and that's what that's what I, I was getting at in, in this game. That um, you know, they they opened up a twenty to seven lead against Springfield, and and it was the third touchdown they scored that they uh, missed the PAT, and and that that's why they needed to go for two when they tied it. But then, you know, at that point, you know, a lot of times in a game, coaches coaches in their game plan, they hang on to a two-point play and sometimes they hang on to it not just one game but several games they hang on to these the the, the play they think will get two points when they need it at, at some point during the season and so for Rochester to already burn a two-point play you know just three minutes ago and then have another one dialed up and to get it both times you know I, I don't know what the rate is in D3 but you know in the NFL it's like just under 50% getting two-point conversions and I wouldn't be surprised if it was you know, maybe around forty percent successful in in D three, and so to have to have two and convert two is uh, something of an anomaly, and that's pretty impressive. And it must have been a fun, fun way to to watch Rochester win at home, uh, and especially beat Springfield, which was uh, you know, about one second from being four and zero.
0: The uh, a lot of the interesting games, uh, the ones that we're spotlighting, are in the Eastern slash Northeastern slash whatever. Uh, quadrant of the country, um, you know. Another one that uh, kind of turned was uh, Brockport State going up twenty-eight nothing, and then never scoring again as Alfred came back and won it in overtime.
1: And the only way I can relate to this, I, I played in a, in a game like this way back in the nineties, where you know we went down twenty to zero, and we came back and scored four touchdowns in the final uh 956 but who's counting um, <laughs> and 128 to 20 but it, it it's when you get up in a game the the strange thing is offense needs to keep scoring and as we when we talk about these top 25 games later on when the scores get out of hand you know it it's hard it's hard for us to blame those teams to get, for for continuing to score. When you look at comebacks like this Brockport State uh, Alfred game, uh, Brockport State was comfortably ahead, Mass Maritime was comfortably ahead, and and teams can score so quickly uh, in college football these days that uh, that you do your offense does have to keep scoring. And as soon as you give up that first touchdown, sometimes the pressure can can start to build you know the 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 pressure goes all, all the way to the team in the lead which is a, it, it's very strange you know but they but in the um the, you know Alfred scores and then they got a 70 yard interception return to score again about a minute and a half later in that game and I and at that point in the game probably the pressure really shifts to Brockport to protect its lead and then you start playing not to lose and Alfred is the team that has all the momentum even though they're trailing in that game and it, it's it's a weird phenomenon but when you watch a football game with a big comeback you see it happen you see the the life. Kind of sucked out of the team with the lead, and you, the team with the lead is usually the one who's, who's who's in control of the momentum and the and the the tempo of the feel of the game. And I, I feel like sometimes in games like that, the team in the lead gets nervous and tries to protect its lead rather than staying on the attack. And and you know, obviously, I'm speculating because I wasn't at the Alfred Brockport game. But when you when you watch a a score flip like that, 28-0, and then 28 points in, the, in for Alfred in the second half to tie it, and then they score in overtime to win it. And they win that game 34-28. You know, you either attribute it to outstanding halftime adjustments, or some kind of momentum shift, or a little bit of both.
0: The There's one other game in that part of the country uh, that I, I would like to talk about. But when we talk about the way that uh, that Alfred came back in this game in the second half, it reminds me about how Wesley just blew the game open in the first quarter at Birmingham Southern. If we had any thoughts about uh, you know where things were going for uh, for Wesley after their loss last week at Mary Hardin Baylor. I don't know if it turned on the uh, on the bad snap that uh, turned into the safety that made it nine nothing, but then it was bam, 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 a, uh, a couple of uh, returns for touchdowns, and really uh, Wesley finished that game off in 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see a 37 point quarter. I mean, that's that's hard to do in basketball, and I'm not saying that to be funny. I mean, it's hard to 37 points in a quarter. You know, I, I had to, I had to ask. Uh, how did how did they get the 37? Because I you don't have that many possessions on offense, right? And as you pointed out, Pat, there there were there were three return touchdowns plus a safety for Wesley uh, in that first quarter at Birmingham Southern, and you know we could give credit to to Mike Drass and Chip Knapp for for you know whatever they said during the week about forgetting about what happened at Mary Harden Baylor and staying focused uh, or getting focused on on Birmingham Southern. Uh, we could give them some credit. You know, you could give the defense credit for just, just playing, uh, you know, scoring, what, 23 points on their own in, in the first quarter, uh, which is more than Birmingham, score, Birmingham Southern scored in the whole game, but never letting that be a game. I think Wesley obviously went down to uh, to Alabama and asserted its dominance. And now, you know, to me, I, I feel like there's a residual effect too. Maybe that that looks – that makes Mary harden Baylor look even more dominant when you see Wesley beat a pretty good team or, or, or a team that's been a pretty good program uh, for the past couple of years. You know, to, for, for Wesley to jump on them 37-0, maybe a little bit um, I don't know flukey's is the right word, but certainly an anomaly with the 37-point quarter. But there may be some residual effect where, like, maybe Mary harden Baylor really is that good if they dominated Wesley, and then the next, the very next quarter Wesley plays, they they, they get get up thirty-seven on a pretty good team. Um, maybe you know, maybe that makes you think uh, UMHB is is the number one team in the country. But as we talk about this, I'm sure at some point in the podcast, Linfield and Mount Union and the other teams at the top of the poll didn't look bad at all on
0: Saturday either. Well, and the, the thought of a 37 point quarter reminded me, uh, I wanted to go back and dig through the archives and find the, the one that at least, at least is the standard in my head. And I think it might be the, uh, I think there's a NCA record associated with it as well, but the, uh, the most prolific first quarter that I can recall is from 2007 season opener in which mountain union put 52 points on Averett in the first quarter. And, uh, was up 72, nothing at the half and went on to beat them 75, seven. And, uh, in a lot of those cases, uh, in, the, in those uh, to get to those 52 points in the first quarter, uh, there was a blocked punt score and there was a 20-yard fumble recovery, but there were a lot of quote-unquote drives, 70 yards, 79 yards, 30, 80, 54. They just never had the ball for, uh, other than one time, they didn't have the ball for more than a minute 43 in that quarter.
1: Well, that's kind of the, the way it went for Birmingham Southern on Saturday. Wesley uh, got the opening kick. Went uh, 66 yards on 10 plays in five and a half minutes to go up 7-0. Then they come back with the safety. Then when Wesley got the ball back later in the quarter, that's when they started scoring, scoring bang bang. You know, they, they uh, Kadosu catches a touchdown pass, and Capapula with a fumble return, Amir Petros with a with a fumble return, and then with one second left in the first quarter, uh, Harold took an interception back uh, 85 yards, and so. That ended up being, uh, you know, probably the most outstanding quarter in in Wesley uh, football history. Although there may have been a quarter <laughs> in, in there against Linfield, Linfield. a couple yeah. years ago in the playoffs that that may qualify as outstanding as well.
0: the uh, The other game I wanted to talk about with uh, exciting uh, fourth quarter and finishes and that sort of thing is the Buff State Ithaca game, uh, a game in which. Let's see, these teams combined for 44 points, 27 of them in the fourth quarter. Buff State battled back from a, a ten-point fourth quarter deficit and took the lead. But then uh Ithaca came back and scored with twenty-two seconds left to win twenty-four-twenty, and Ithaca is unbeaten, three and oh.
1: Yeah, and and that was my exact thought when I when we first uh noticed that finish, uh that three and oh, and now you gotta start paying attention to Ithaca. And and I was we were thinking you know things things shift and they can happen those shifts can happen quickly on a saturday but with springfield losing and it was really just one play for for springfield that that kept them from being 4 and 0 uh, and and then ithaca now 3 and 0 maybe that's the team we start thinking of um in in that part of the country and it was a big comeback for them Vito buffoli was the guy who uh, who caught the 30 yard touchdown pass with 22 seconds left and uh now ithaca yeah team we, we, we have to start keeping an eye on at 3 and 0
0: Ithaca goes to Hartwick next week. Hartwick's 3-0, and but they've beaten Husson, Morrisville State, and Becker. Uh, Ithaca's, uh, I think, big test will be the following week when they face Alfred at home. Let's uh, move a little bit into the uh, top 25 realm, and uh, at this point we're going to welcome in our uh, colleagues who covered the Stevenson-Delaware Valley game from opposite sides or opposite ends of the press box, I don't know however you want to call it, and we'll uh, throw it for a a short time to Dave McHugh and Gordon Mann. I'm Dave McHugh. He's Gordon Mann, and this is our D3 report here in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, where the Delaware Valley Aggies defeated the Stevenson Mustangs 41-23. In the game, Stevenson actually led 17-14 at halftime, but Delaware Valley uh, 27 unanswered points to end the first half and start the second half. Gordon. Uh, you could tell this was going to be a tough battle, but the third quarter was a
2: change in point. Yeah, you know, for a program when you're on the rise like that and you're playing a team like Delaware Valley, you got to take care of the ball. And yeah. uh, really the killer was the first interception from Gasparovic. Uh, Stevenson stops DelVal on the first possession. Get forces the punt and then Miller fumbles it. And Delaware Valley picks up at the 13. They score. Not too big a deal. Delaware Valley hasn't been able to stop your offense, but then you come out and you turn it over immediately, yeah. and then you turn it over again. Yeah. And actually, the Stevenson defense did a really nice job holding Del Valley out of the end zone both times. Otherwise, it could have been very lopsided. But they held them out and held them in the game. But once those, once that happened, and Delaware Valley had a two-score lead. It took Lee away. It took Holly away, and it made the Mustangs a pass-only offense, which is not what they want to be. Yeah, Miller muff in the pump, then the turnover by Kasperovic. Kasperovic had three interceptions in this game. They all came at bad moments. Yeah. And Delaware Valley, you're right, didn't score touchdowns necessarily, but took advantage of every single turnover. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, they've been uh, that's they they've taken care of business against teams, uh, really over the last few years. You know, as as they become. More developed and more mature as a program. When other teams make mistakes, they generally capitalize. And Stevenson will get there. I mean, this is a program, he said a number of times on our broadcast, they're on the rise. It's just a question of how far, how fast. Yeah. Uh, and today, they played one half of very solid football. They made some mistakes. They've got a big bounce back game next week. But uh, this is not going to be a program that's picked in the second half of the standings next year or for many years to come.
0: The top teams in the MAC continue to play each other as the uh, season rolls on here in the next couple weeks. And if you want to hear more of uh, Dave and uh, Gordon breaking down uh, a little bit of the MAC and the uh, Del Stevenson game, uh, the rest of their D3 report is on d3football.com and on YouTube, and you can find it. And you'll also see it in the post game show page uh, when that goes up a little bit later on Monday that's a Monday afternoon kind of production. Uh of course, you know a game that we look forward to every year certainly turned out to be a, a, at least a, in some sense another classic, maybe not as down to the wire as some of the other games that we've talked about here so far uh, in the course of this podcast, but uh you know yet another game in which uh between Widener and Lyco in which the uh in which the lead flips late.
1: Yeah, it came down to the fourth quarter as as the, the pride warriors games tend to, and uh, thirteen plays for for Leico in the in the um, you know final eight nine minutes of that game they they take over they had a six and a half minute drive They kicked a the thirty three yard field goal to go ahead and then they had to go back out on defense and stop Widener to win 16-14. you know those games Pat we mentioned it in last week's podcast there have just been so many of them over the years and these these guys don't, they, they don't have a cute Name for their rivalry. Um, it's just a conference rivalry that has be- become or been competitive for 15 or 20 years because uh, the teams seem to always be in the same place around the same time. There was a time when I guess Widener was a, was a championship level team, you know, at the late late 70s or early 80s, and then Leica was really good and made it to the Stag Bowl in 97, and pretty much ever since then they've just been really good. Uh, teams and, and when they go down to sort of the middle of the conference, Widener will go down at the same time, and uh, now they're kind of both back at the top end of the uh, of the conference. And they, this is an early season test for them that sort of, I guess, becomes a proving ground for one or the other team. And and now with with Lyco at three and one, you know that that first week result that thirty to two loss to Brockport looks a little curious because I think other if you take that away, you know, lego might be a team coming off a win against Widener that you'd think uh would be, you know, potentially getting votes.
0: Uh Widener had a chance to uh had a chance to win that game with what's that, sixteen seconds left and a thirty six yard field goal uh goes wide and uh so Widener falls a two and two, although it's a bit uh, been a pretty tough uh season, pretty tough go for them. And, and I think also too, um, you know, I don't know if Widener's quite Necessarily played itself out of the discussion. Uh, you know, it's only the first conference loss. Of course, the other loss was to Wesley, um, and these teams, you know, continue to to play each other. Widener will play at Stevenson next week, um, and of course, we have uh, Lyco hosting Delaware Valley. So there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of competition. Is this it, the top of this conference? or the top four or five teams in this conference are seem fairly competitive with each other? And, you know, the teams at the bottom, the Florham, Kings, and Misericordia are going to be teams that all four or five of those teams at the top are going to roll past pretty easily.
1: Yeah, you know, what, what stood out to me actually about the, the Stevenson-DelVal score, I guess, is uh, that it was competitive you know Stevenson led in that game 17-7 and Del Valle had to put a uh, 18 play scoring drive together right before the half and that's probably the drive that that turned the game for for Del Valle because they came out and, and more or less dominated uh, in the second half at least from what I from what I could tell and um you know you pat you mentioned the matchups next week so now the, you know pretty much these these top four teams and i guess you know albright will probably be in the mix in, in some way or well. lebanon but, valley too yeah Le- right so you know but these four teams that played this week you just mix them up and they all play each other again next week and so we'll, we may have some clarity or we may have less clarity uh in, in the mac race you know by the time uh, you know by this time next week um, but I thought the fact that Stevenson really hung in with DelVal, even though the score started to get away from them at the end, means maybe they'll be in the mix uh, and and be more than just a spoiler uh, for, for the rest of the way here.
0: And at some point, someone will, of course, have been in the mix to get into the top 25 uh, as Widener, the number 24 team, loses. Uh, St. John's, the 21st-ranked team, loses, um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, of course, this is another one of those uh, pre- uh, the appearance of the pre, uh, the appearance of the top 25 uh, Keith and I are talking about these games you know mere hours after they've happened and I'm not sure either of us has even necessarily cast our top 25 vote at the moment but um, I'm looking at a team that was on the outside last week by just a couple of votes not having gotten a whole lot cuz you know a a vote in the 30s for the number 25 or number, t- number 26 spot is really low. But John Carroll continues to be impressive here so far in the early season. They shut out Otterbein on Saturday night, and they've only given up seven points on defense the entire season.
1: And that's really the most impressive number the defense, because we know they have a quarterback.
0: You love your defense.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's only natural. You know, obviously, <laughs> I. <laughs> I played a little defense, but I think, uh, you know, what happens is that we get used to sometimes seeing these gaudy offensive numbers, and you forget that numbers on defense can be just as gaudy as well. Although uh, "gaudy" is my, not really the right word for it, but there were some really stifling defensive totals t- today. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of the you know a, a good word for defense. I mean they, these smothering. Know, uh, they smothered. They they snuffed uh, the offenses, and I'm talking about uh, you know Linfield and Case Western Reserve and Wabash and Allegheny and uh, Wittenberg and Oberlin. Like they, you know, holding teams. You know, Whitewater uh, had a shutout. Uh, Oshkosh only gives up a field goal. I mean, there were a lot of teams that played that played great defense, and and so many that I got off on a tangent of which original defensive team we were talking about. John Carroll,
0: right. Them.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's the most impressive thing, um you know, to me is that is that they're they're not just playing, uh, they're not just scoring points, which which we expected them to do, but they're playing well defensively, and uh, you know, and the other reason you'd expect them to score points is because their 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 head coach is, was a star quarterback himself at John Carroll, and so you'd expect the offense to be rolling. But uh, the only thing about about shutting out Otterbein is that um, St. John Fisher did it as well in week one, and we gave them credit for it at the time. Yep. But if Otterbein continues to, to not score points, you know, then maybe it's them and, and not all these teams playing great defense.
0: That's true. The only seven points that John Carroll gave up on the season was last week. To Baldwin-Wallace, and uh, on Saturday, Baldwin-Wallace beat Muskingum 23-13. Uh, Keith touched on the three shutouts in the top 25 by an average margin of, oh, that's a whole heck of a lot of points. 65 plus 65 plus 45 divided by three. Uh, yeah, you guys can do the math. It's somewhere over 55. I know that much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a I'm a word guy. I'm not a number guy. Um <laughs> And uh, getting back to that uh, St. John's game, did we, did we all think that this was a, a possibility that St. John's could get let down uh, after beating St. Thomas last week? The one thing that made me, you know, that that made me have pause about that during the course of the week is that. St. John's has generally played pretty well at home against Concordia Moorhead, and a lot of the shenanigans have happened on the road. But then I went back and I looked through uh, triple take and some of the uh, box scores and game stories that I pulled out from weeks past or weeks past years past and linked in there. And, you know, those are those have been some home games and some road games for St. John's in those games.
1: And I was trying to think of another comparable situation to, to this in D3, and I couldn't think of one, but there probably is one out there where, uh, you know, Concordia, Moorhead, and St. John's are probably fairly, I, I want to say fairly equal, but I mean, not in terms of history, because obviously St. John's has the history and had the high-profile coach and had been a championship team, but, it, you know, maybe from like two thousand. Five or so around there Concordia Morehead was a playoff team in 04, and then from you know the past six or seven years they've been about the same level team kind of uh not not you know not the best team in in the Miac but pretty good teams and but if you asked if you just took a random sampling of of d3 fans, so many more people would would know St John's and have a higher opinion of St. John's than would have Concordia Morehead and so you know the the victory is not that surprising because you and I know the history of of that conference rivalry and we know, you know, that that Concordia Morehead has has been pretty good in, in the past but I think it's surprising it may be surprising to people who don't follow the MIAC very closely because um they don't Concordia Morehead just doesn't have the name recognition and and you know just last year being an 8-2 team and being left out of the playoffs uh you know, you 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 forget about them, even though they were they were a very solid team last year, and probably we should have expected them to get off to a three and zero and now four and zero start. Uh, but but this is also the first big test for them, uh, I think this season.
0: One of the things too, I think that plays into the how this how this rivalry has played out over recent years is that. Uh, I believe that St. John's is Concordia's biggest rival. Concordia sees St. John's as their biggest rival, um, partially, I think, because they're the closest team geographically in the MIAC. Uh, Moorhead is way up, practically in the northwest corner of Minnesota. It's on the border with Fargo of, uh, of North Dakota, and it's a you know it's a four hour trip sometimes to get down to the Twin Cities where most of the teams are. St. John's is only maybe two hours away or so, but of course for St. John's. They have bigger fish to fry uh, in their mind. They, I'm sure they see – obviously they see St. Thomas as their biggest rival. And I think if you were to pick out a competitive rival, they probably feel uh, more – they'd probably get up more for a game against Bethel uh, yep. than they would against Concordia.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and it's – Concordia has been sort of the odd team out even though it's been a competitive team for most of the you know, past several years, uh, the closest thing I could come to when I was trying to think of a situation like it was, was Louisiana College in the ASC, like for, for so many years, it's been Mary Hard- had been Mary Harden, Baylor and harden Simmons, and then finally, um, you know they had the, the Wildcats had their breakthrough, and you know and, and it's to the point now where harden Simmons isn't even the number two uh, team necessarily in that conference, but I really couldn't think of a situation where there's been a team on the cusp for so long, but they're, but they're so forgotten about because they're, they're when they're good, there's always somebody who's just a cut, cut above a little bit better. And and so, you know, Concordia Moorhead, even at four and zero now they had, they had the challenge of St. Thomas Bethel and Augsburg. Really. We have to really think about them as a, as a potential contender as well.
0: We talked about uh, John Carroll as a candidate for the top 25 spot or two that might open up, um, you know, uh, Keith just briefly mentioned Augsburg, and Augsburg handled Hamlin pretty well this week. Uh, I think the the only question mark about Augsburg is they kind of struggled with Gustavus Adolphus a week ago. Um, but Thomas Moore presents an interesting picture as well. It's a team that had, you know, dominated the President's Athletic Conference, I think, for six years in a row. Uh, won the conference championship, possibly more. Um, and then kind of fell off a little bit, and now, you know, with Having handled Waynesburg uh, pretty handily, that puts them in good position to be at the top of the conference when they uh, face W and J in a couple of weeks. But they've been pretty—I um, say—fairly dominant. But uh, you know, facing Capital and Westminster, the first two games didn't necessarily show us anything. But Waynesburg is a different example.
1: Yeah, I mean, Waynesburg was unbeaten coming in, and for Waynesburg, I think I made the point in Triple Take that they'd won you know 14 in their past 15 or you know 12 or 13 or something like that they'd won a bunch of games and they even beat thomas Moore last year but they'd never had to go on the road and play a big game all their road games last year were you know saint vincent and teal and bethany and all the teams you would expect that upper half pack team to beat so for waynesburg this was a big test for them and they got off to you know to a uh, they scored first i shouldn't say they got off to a great start because after scoring first uh Thomas Moore scores the next four touchdowns and and basically blows that game open, and and yeah, you know, what I take from that game is yeah, Thomas Moore, they're legit, they're they're back, um, and that's probably a team that I I may have creeped them into the top twenty five last week. You know, I, there there were the, all those same teams: the Thomas Moore, Widener, Concordia, Moorhead, Saint John's, uh, Johns Hopkins. Those were the teams that were like around the twenties last week. But I think if you know for voters. Uh, and, and, Pat, you know, we mentioned this, the, the by the time people listen to this, the, the new poll will have already been out. But I think voters will probably have crept uh, Thomas Moore up there a little bit uh, after this week, because this was the first really significant test for both Waynesburg and Thomas Moore and, and Thomas Moore passed with flying colors.
0: In, at the top of the poll we had uh, of course as we mentioned uh, earlier in the week we had the two top teams in the top 25 playing uh, a couple hours apart uh on uh, at least on the map and then a few hours apart on the uh, uh on the calendar as well if you were, say, a Linfield fan and uh watched your team, you know, beat down Case Western Reserve in the first game and then went uh down to see Mountain Union, I think you'd probably leave that game at halftime. Uh Mount Union was pretty good and you know, they were blowing up a team that was terrible, and I'm not sure that either team watching the other team's game necessarily learns a whole lot about the other. No, I
1: mean you still gotta take the opportunity, I guess, if you're in town you know to see them live, especially um, if
0: you're in, especially if you're a Linfield fan and Linfield's never played Mount Union or certainly never played at Mount Union,
1: right? Or a Linfield coach, advanced scout type of person. I mean, if, maybe if that I, could have happened. If I were doing that, I would fly. I would have at least somebody fly back late and uh, and watch that game in person and just you know watch the way Mount Union operates. Because for all the years that that Linfield has been an elite team in D three and Mount Union has been the elite team in D three or or the one a one b, you know um they've never they've never met there's been times when they've been on the track to meet, and it, it just hasn't happened and so uh right now, those are two of the top teams in the country, and it could happen uh at some point down the road and for me, I'm having a tough time picking out whose dominance is, is more dominant, who's more impressive you know on on Saturday, if you'd taken in both of those games, yeah you, know, you wouldn't have gotten but you know, five minutes of, of, of drama, I guess, between the two games because Linfield, uh, they, they weren't out in, they didn't run away with it necessarily right away. It was only 24 nothing at the half, but they, you know, they did, uh, obviously, um, Case Western never scored. So they were never really a part of that game. And then, as you mentioned, Mount Union, you know, early and often, and uh, end up scoring 84 in that game. And just if anybody's curious, the, the touchdown that made it 56-7 in that game early in the third quarter was a pass, and the rest of the touchdowns for uh, for Mountain Union were all uh, runs. And, you know, I, I don't know if you can do anything about that. So, yeah, both teams pretty dominant and, uh, and and close by on Saturday. Hopefully somebody out there had the good sense to try to watch both teams on the same day, and, and maybe at some point down the line you'll be able to watch them on the same day in the same stadium playing against each other
0: that uh uh, i wonder 84 is a lot for Mount Union. i'm not sure we'd have seen that before and you remember marietta actually jumped on top first in that game they uh they they got the ball first and they went 75 yards to go up seven nothing and then it was off to the races
1: yeah and and you know that that's happened before in, yep. in conference games for Mountain Union they give up the first seven or first three and then uh and then you know just run away with it and and
0: so the moral of the story is if you're playing mountain Union unless you're whitewater or Saint Thomas or somebody you want to take the ball yeah, if you win yeah, the yeah. toss
1: i don't I don't know if it you know necessarily matters because <laughs> mount- mountain union um when they get going. Uh, team, you know, and, and this shouldn't be as big an issue for a conference team as a, a team that sees them for the first time in the playoffs. But when they get going, you know, they they kind of roll over teams and and teams psych themselves out to some degree. But they're also getting you know getting beat because Mountain Union teams tend to not make a lot of mistakes. They don't they don't give you an opportunity to get back in the game. So you really have to keep it close early.
0: Mount Union doesn't face one of the uh, teams that we, at the moment, believe will be tough in their conference until November. On the other hand, uh, Linfield faces Pacific Lutheran next week, and Pacific Lutheran is a team that I saw on Saturday as the 10th-ranked Lutes went to Wisconsin-Eau Claire and uh, held on for a 21-19 win, uh, a game in which uh, the, the Lutes had to hold on because Joel Sweeney was running for a two-point conversion attempt with 41 seconds remaining in the game and was uh, stuffed by Connor Gabbard as uh, Pacific Lutheran held on to win that game. Pacific Lutheran was up uh, in that one 21-7 at the half, and as the game kind of wore on, I finally began to see a little bit of what I had uh, hoped to see of Joel Sweeney. Joel Sweeney is the uh, now senior running back for Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and every time I've seen Eau Claire over the previous few years, they've either been playing St. Thomas or they've been playing Wisconsin-Whitewater, and it's really... Uh, I think it's fairly unfair to judge a running back solely on his, uh, his, um, success against either of those two teams, because those are teams that are fantastic defensively and especially against the run. But what Sweeney did, uh, is he, uh, he carried 31 times for 123 yards. Average wasn't great. Obviously that's just about four yards a carry, but he had a couple of big, uh, pass catches, uh, on the, uh, on the fourth quarter drive, the one in which they had a chance to tie the game, he had a uh, he took a little swing pass and took it 38 yards, including a nice spin move out near midfield. And he's a big guy. Joel Sweeney's a big guy. Um, let's you know, just gives you some actual numbers and not just definition there of of the the big guyness that Joel Sweeney is. They list him at 6'1", 249, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't dispute that that's uh, that seems fairly accurate and he took another uh, he took another swing pass later in the uh, later in the drive and took it down into the into the red zone uh, the Eau Claire quarterback scrambled down to the two-yard line two plays later Sweeney punched it in but then got stuffed on the two-point conversion and Pacific Lutheran uh, goes home happy I I say that because that's one of those cliche lines but I think Pacific Lutheran um, and if you Watch the post game interview that we had with uh, Scott Westering after the game. I think Pacific Lutheran kind of goes home happy anyway because the journey is such a big deal for them, but they also go home with a W.
1: Yeah, and and you know for Eau Claire not getting a, a W, what a tough schedule these guys played. And you know they're zero and three right now. They feel like you know they most likely feel like they should be two and one. They uh, started with a fifty two seven loss at St Thomas, but then came back uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and lost seventeen fourteen at Saint John's, and then today against Pacific Lutheran in twenty one nineteen. So you know they're five points from being two and one, uh, and then it doesn't get any easier for them. And, and I just kind of feel for this team because it's probably. A lot better than, you know, one in five, which is what they may be uh, in a couple weeks here. They go to Platteville, they host Stevens Point, and then they go to Whitewater uh, on October 18th. So, you know, this is probably right now, I'd be willing to bet this is the best schedule or the toughest schedule in the country, at least through six weeks. Uh, St. Thomas. Still in the top ten. Uh, St. John's is dropping out of the top twenty-five. Probably after uh, after Saturday. Pacific Lutheran, top top uh, ten. Platteville, Whitewater, in, in the top twenty. Uh, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, and you know what else would be tough? You mentioned Pat, Joel Sweeney, two forty-nine. Seeing that guy in the open field, taking him on head-on. It's yeah. crazy. I, yeah. I, I go I go below the you know below the knees or below the waist
0: and you might, not, you might not necessarily bring him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one, on. one of the reasons why I think uh, it was possible for Eau Claire to, to come back in this game, I and mean, Pacific Lutheran didn't score in the second half, um, uh, the, uh, the rain really started coming down. Uh, let's see. It looks like uh, midway through, late in the third quarter, um, and that really played into what – Eau Claire was successful at on offense, which was basically handing it off to Sweeney. And, you know, when when you got a guy who is 249 pounds running the ball at you, um, you know, he runs at you 31 times, that begins to wear the team the opposite side down, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a that's a load, two hundred two hundred forty nine pounds. And, you, Pat, you mentioned the 31 carries for 123 yards, three touchdowns. He also caught three passes for 59 yards. So he was a, a huge part of the offense on Saturday and I thought it, it was interesting to get a, a read on Pacific Lutheran mm-hmm. not against the Northwest Conference team and not against the act team and 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 now you know with them I think you know 3 and 0 but also pretty well tested going into the Linfield game.
0: Yeah, and they looked uh, you know obviously they looked good early. They jumped out to that 21 to 7 lead. Um, they made a couple of key mistakes in the second half that uh, that really cost them and made this game You made this game winnable, or at least tieable, for Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Um, You know, PLU picks off a pass near midfield and can't capitalize. You know, they let a couple of uh, scoring drives go to the wayside, or potentials. Obviously, they weren't scoring drives, right? Um, A couple of potential drives uh, go away in the second half. They obviously had trouble bringing down. Uh, Joel Sweeney, they turned the ball over on downs, um, after a, a big third down sack, uh, letting a, an 11 play drive die at the, um, at the, uh, in the red zone. Actually, this drive charge doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but you know, they, had, they had driven down pretty close into Eau Claire territory and maybe in better weather might've attempted a field goal there. Um, yeah, you know, they just said a, a couple of drives that they couldn't convert on, and and those are drives obviously they're going to need next week against Linfield.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know they haven't Pacific Lutheran hasn't been, I guess, dominant by any means of Pat since you got to see him play. I, I'll leave the, the the judgment of how strong a team they are to you. You know what's impressive to me about about PLU is the schedule they put together early in the season, and it, it actually really sets up well for them. You know, regardless of whether they win next week. Even if um, you know they, the the game is at Linfield, so if they they go uh, south, uh, you know a, f- a few hundred miles and and play their uh, their rival, and they don't win that game, they have they'll have a win uh, against Cal Lutheran and Redlands in the bag, and one of those two teams is likely to win this, the the act yep. Then you you're going to get some um, s- some. St- oowp strength of schedule and i man it's way too early to be breaking
0: out no it's dad, not but no it's not <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, uh, opponents opponents winning percentage you'll get some of that from from the Wyac, most likely with a win of uh, at eau claire and then uh, the schedule kind of for the for them for pacific lutheran gets a little easier uh, after linfield next week they're home against lewis and clark and pacific at willamette home against puget sound and then at whitworth to close out the season i think you know when you set up a schedule and you have that that real the tough teams in the beginning of it, uh, it, it I think Pacific Lutheran has, has played about as as tough a schedule as it could play to get ready for this Linfield game.
0: Dalton Ritchie, quarterback, uh, impressed me maybe a little bit more running the ball than he did throwing the ball on Saturday, but you know maybe the conditions had something to do with it. Um, Kyle Warner, the big wide receiver, he was kind of bottled up for uh, by Eau Claire. He did have eight catches for 68 yards, and almost half of them came on one play that uh, took him down to the two yard line early in the game. Uh, Kellen Westering, as a wide receiver, was pretty well bottled up. I liked both of the tight ends. Uh, I thought Tim Orr looked good, and I thought uh, Lucas Santra looked good for them. I, I thought uh, that that's a. their their pass catching threats. They look pretty good in the open field there. Uh, and Nico Madison, the running back, is, uh, you know, maybe didn't get as many opportunities. Uh, Because he only ran the ball 11 times on Saturday, but I could see where he's a guy who's got some talent. And, you know, like Pacific Lutheran has done in the past, you know, line up in a bunch of different formations, use guys in a bunch of different ways.
1: Yeah, and, you know, one thing we should mention about uh, the game next week at Linfield is, uh, you know, both of those games last season were competitive. Pacific Lutheran lost uh, early in the season at home by a touchdown to Linfield 31-24 and then went out there uh, to Linfield in the, in the playoff game and gave them quite a scare. Linfield hung on 27-24 and then, uh, you know, went a couple rounds deep into the playoffs. Three rounds, I guess.
0: I think we're going to go over an hour on this podcast, just so you know. Um, There's one other thing I want to uh, – because we're, you know – well, I would say running short on time, because the time's theoretically unlimited as long as uh, Keith and I are able to stay awake and keep talking. But um, I wanted to really uh, encourage people to go back and watch that interview with Scott Westring if you haven't already. Not just to see uh, make fun of me in the rain, but um, you know uh, Scott Westring talks about uh, the impact of losing his dad, uh, Frosty Westring, who of course was the longtime head coach. Uh, and uh they had won uh four national titles three of them in the NAIA and one of them in division 3 in 1999 how they've dedicated this season to him and, and that sort of thing uh I definitely encourage you guys to go and uh, listen to that because he uh spoke about that uh freely without me even uh, having a chance to raise the subject um which I thought was pretty gracious of him considering we were you know standing out there in the cold and rain after a, a pretty well it a pretty tense fourth quarter. If you were a fan, I don't think anything gets uh, Pacific Lutheran uh, particularly rattled. They have a they have just that vibe about them as they've had in the past. Um, Keith, did we have any other uh, top twenty five games we really wanted to go over?
1: I don't know if if we re- really need to hit any of them um, specifically because none of them were all that competitive. Maybe you're St. John Fisher at, at, at Cortland State. That was probably the other. Oh, uh, actually, the game was at St. John Fisher, but they played against Cortland State. That was the other game that was um, intriguing to me because uh, you know I matched the Empire Eight team and an NJAC team, and and two teams that that may end up you know winning uh, their respective conferences and end up being a a good game. You know, but but before we jump ahead, I should just just mention um, because you brought up Frosty Westering. West um, you know, if you're if you're new to Division Three or if you're new to listening to the podcast. it it really this is a big change 2013 when when you know frosty westring has passed one of the the deans of of college football you know one of the i think there's only 11 or 12 guys in the 300 win club and we lost d3 uh you know we we lost uh, frosty and then you know um john Gallardi and larry karis retired this year and so these are the those were the the three deans of of d3 coaches and um you know if you haven't learned about those guys they're they were all each unique in their own way and and brought a different type of passion to football. you know we wrote about all of them uh this off season and and you know if you have some time to go back and 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 dig up those articles um you know it, it's good it's it learns where a lot of this comes from i think each three all three of those guys embodied the d three spirit as much as anyone
0: and to find those articles, you would go to the news menu on any of our any pages on the website and click uh click notables out of that that's where our news archive is uh and you would just go through 2013 stories until you found uh, some of those in the off season uh may february april those sorts of uh times and then uh november december to find uh out of last year uh from uh john gilardi retiring um a couple of teams that uh you know, we talk about some of the great tradition in Division Three. We're going to go straight to the opposite end, a couple of schools who uh, don't have any tradition really in Division Three football. As uh, Iowa Wesleyan picked up its uh, first win as a, uh, uh, a Division Three football provisional member, Hendricks got another W this week. Alfred State got its first win as a uh, uh, as a four year school, and uh, Barry scored.
1: Yeah, I mean those sort of welcome the D three football. For uh, for quite a few teams, almost across the board, you know, Southwestern and Hendricks played each other, so clearly one of them had to win. But it was a it was a competitive game, you know. Uh, Hendricks got out to a lead, and, and Southwestern made it interesting for a little bit. And so, you know, signs of encouragement, I think, on on both sides there. Hendricks, you know, I learned from reading the around the region that um, you know partially built with some transfer players, and that's one of the reasons why they they've had more success than some of the other you know brand new teams but uh but still new to d3 and 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 you know you have to tip the cap for them uh winning Barry obviously scoring points against a varsity opponent is a is a sign a step in the right direction for them and then for Iowa wesley and alfred state you know just to get a victory doesn't really matter who you beat you you need that to, to sort of encourage people to stick with the program and and uh T- you know, just the the, the taste of vi- victory, um, you know, even if it's only once a season, uh, is really important.
0: For Iowa Wesleyan, they're not a brand new program; they're just new to Division Three. They're coming over from the NAIA, and I would be surprised if they don't win at least a couple more games this season. So, uh, for them to beat McMurray is not, uh, I would think, not be considered an upset. Maybe a little bit of an upset, though, uh, Denison beating Ohio Wesleyan in in double overtime. I mean, Ohio Wesleyan last year had that uh, bizarre near run to the playoffs where they went uh, nine and one and six and one in the league back when the North coast was still not playing a full round robin conference schedule and nearly worked their way in, in some crazy form of tiebreakerness. ness um, And they had started off, you know, they started off this season with a couple of wins, maybe not necessarily in impressive fashion. And then Dennison comes in and picks them off on Saturday.
1: And that's going to be a painful loss for the Badland bishops because uh, they really couldn't afford to stumble before playing at Wabash uh, in a couple weeks here, October 12th, and then uh, November 2nd, they go to Wittenberg, and those are probably the two big games for them. They'll be on the road three out of four in October, uh, I guess, you know, October to November 2nd. So they, they had their work cut out from already, and they had a chance to get out of this one uh, on on Saturday when they the game uh, went to overtime. And, you know, what's weird is, before this run of success for Ohio Wesleyan you know a Denison Ohio Wesleyan game going to overtime is, you know wouldn't wouldn't shock us at all those are two teams that are you know generally pretty pretty evenly matched but you know we Ohio Wesleyan had a stretch where they won 14 out of 15 they were 9 and 1 last season but didn't have the strength of schedule to get in the playoffs and um you know the tie breaker didn't, didn't break for them uh, as well this game on on Saturday uh, you know they came back tied it um in the final three minutes at 27 and then uh, each team uh, managed to score again in the in the final minute after uh or Ohio Wesleyan scores uh, with a minute 12 left Dennison comes back and scores with 24 seconds left and then they each went back and forth once in overtime before uh Colin Morris's 13 yard run uh, wins it for denison
0: that was not a game that any of us picked as the game of the week in triple take um but it certainly uh ended up being one of the games i think the game of the week uh if you take context out of it uh is that worcester state mass maritime game and none of us picked that either uh just kind of going back through and maybe scoring triple take from last week even though we're over an hour you, you guys are still with us right um let's see uh, I picked Wesley Birmingham Southern. No, you picked Wesley Birmingham Southern. I picked... I'll gladly <laughs>
1: let you have it if you no. want
0: it. <laughs> no, that's okay. I have it later. Uh, I picked Concordia-Moorhead-St. John's, and I think Ryan tips with Hope at Illinois-Wesley and gets the W there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that ended up being a pretty good game. 14-7, uh, illinois Wesleyan won, one, but I think it sh- probably showed us more that, that Hope is, is pretty legit and maybe a contender in the MIAA.
0: Uh, in surprisingly close game wash you at center that was a 31 14 game that uh, uh that ryan picked you picked all of it at north park i'm not sure how that game qualified as being surprisingly close but okay fine um and stevenson delaware valley uh was my pick for surprisingly close and i don't know if 18 points is surprisingly close i've always found surprisingly close is actually really difficult to pick
1: Yes, and that's how I ended up at Olivet North Park. Olivet came in three and zero. North Park zero and two. Game ended up being close, fourteen um, ten. Olivet won, so they actually went to four and zero. But yeah, if you want to if you want to take the victory on that for going further out on the limb because Stevenson Delval was competitive for for quite a while, that's fine.
0: Most likely top twenty five team to get upset. We whiff on this. Uh, Ryan picked none. Uh, you picked Johns Hopkins, although. I might give you a half a point for mentioning that uh, St. John's and Widener were vulnerable even if uh, we didn't think they would lose. And I picked Wesley. I mean, do, do you want to give me Wesley for the other one? I, I went in uh, on Wesley pretty hard myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'll I take the half point because I, I did see those both of those games being competitive. And, uh, yeah, the, the lead of it is since it wouldn't be much of an upset if Concordia Moorhead beat St. John's or Leico beat Widener, I'll go with Muhlenberg. But uh, I would definitely lose the other half a point because um, Muhlenberg was not all that competitive. It was forty-five thirteen.
0: They'll be on your radar. Ryan takes East Texas Baptist. You take the Cleveland area, uh, and I took Huntingdon. I mean, I was Huntingdon certainly won, but um, you know, like I note in the uh, description, I'm a, I'm a week late to that. Um, eh, you know, Cleveland. Okay, what what do you got? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't, know how, I don't think you can win on the radar. That's what, that's, I like getting to that point of writing triple-take because I'm like, at least this one can't be wrong. It's just who I'm watching this week.
0: Which team could get lost? Uh, could, could caught looking ahead? You and I both picked Pacific Lutheran, and we were pretty close on that.
1: Yeah, well, it, I'm, I guess I'm personally a little glad that they didn't uh, get caught looking ahead because I think that, Lin, that Linfield Pacific Lutheran game sets up to be the game of Week 5.
0: Ryan took Worcester over Hiram. Worcester did beat Hiram 38-24. I'm not sure that that result is necessarily um, get a result of them getting caught looking ahead. I thought uh, Hiram is fairly not awful this year. How about that? We'll call it that. Which undefeated team is going to pick up its first loss? That's a clean sweep. Ryan takes Merchant Marine. You take Juniata. And I got Wisconsin Stevens point. Although Wisconsin Stevens point is a pretty easy one.
1: Well, actually, Merchant Marine, right? They played Hobart, so that was that was pretty easy as well. Well, it,
0: it was a it was a I don't know if it was a close game, but it was a low scoring game. It was close for a while because it was low scoring.
1: Yeah, it was. Be- I think better than we probably expected out of Merchant Marine. Uh, there were there were some other some, some other winless teams that uh, picked up their first loss as well.
0: Uh, indeed, there were a lot of opportunities. There were sixty four, I believe, unbeaten teams coming into the week, so lots of chances for for teams to lose. And for all of you who are saying, well, my team's undefeated. We should be in the top 25. Um, Yeah. You'd have to settle for being in the top 64, or we would have a 39 way tie for 25th, something like that. And then of course,
1: you're a math math person.
0: See, I'm a counting person. I have multiple hands and some Mm -hmm. toes. Uh, The last question is always an interesting twist on something, trying to put three unrelated things together. And this one is which historical people's, is or are most interesting. Ryan's a writer and editor by trade. I won't uh, quibble with his uh, singular plural. Um, I don't know if I quibble with his pick either. He took uh, the Pioneers of Grinnell, and Grinnell uh, kind of cruised past Beloit 4217. Keith took the Saints of Thomas More. We've talked about them. And I took the Colonials of Western Connecticut. We talked about them as well. They were certainly fairly interesting, of at least in some way. Maybe not the sort of. most interesting but they were interesting. The Lancers, I think, are the most interesting historical peoples, if you can, can if you can define Lancers, as in Worcester State, as a people.
1: And if only we'd foreseen the uh, comeback from down 41-14 to win 64-63, then we'd have all been triple-take geniuses.
0: But we maybe will be triple take geniuses next week, and you can find it on the site on Friday. That is uh, the triple take is the three takes of uh, Keith McMillan, myself, and Ryan Tips, our senior editor. And uh, that is our predictions for the week. you find that on Friday. Backing up through the rest of the week, you'll find Around the Nation column has a regular presence now uh, throughout the week on D3Football.com, starting with Snap Judgments on Sunday. If you haven't read that already, go back and read it. Um, and then we have, uh, of course, the D3Football.com Play of the Week. That is the first thing Tuesday morning. Uh, we have the post game show on Monday afternoon. I referenced that earlier, but that is where you guys put in your, uh, you give us your D3 reports, and we got a couple of them on YouTube already uh, via email from uh, a couple of games this week. So we'll have those for you along with highlight packages. Um, I can't help you that the highlight packages are all skewed towards the one team. There's only a handful of schools that do balanced packages and highlights and we really like those. So thank you um uh Stevenson. And I I'm sure there's a couple others I just can't think of them right at the moment. So um oh, Buffalo State does some balanced uh highlight packages. So thank you you guys and everybody else. It wouldn't hurt you to throw in a highlight of the other team, especially if you won. You know, go ahead and throw the other team a bone every once in a while. Um we have those on Monday afternoon. Uh, monday morning of course is this podcast you may have heard it and around the region columns come out on tuesday and wednesday we've had a great slate of uh seven around the region columns each of the last couple weeks so we hope you continue to come by and read those and then of course we have game coverage of week five uh coming up uh, uh friday and saturday and week five keith you know, we mentioned uh one of the big games already of course is uh uh as uh, linfield hosts pacific lutheran uh, mountain union goes to ohio northern that once upon a time would have been a great game similarly trinity going to mary Harden baylor similarly north central going to elmhurst once upon a time those were great games um i suspect looking at this schedule i'm probably going to be at the augsburg bethel game um on uh on saturday and i remember from last year augsburg nearly took bethel out
1: uh yeah I actually don't remember the, the finish, but I, I remember it being a um, a dramatic finish and a good game. And I think I've been looking for, you, you know, we've talked about Augsburg, but we need to see them beat somebody uh, highly ranked for, for them to really make that leap.
0: If you read uh, the kickoff predictions, you'll know I think that Augsburg is uh, one of those teams that gets in the playoffs at 9-1. and one. So we'll see if I have any vague idea what i'm talking about as already the MIC looks a little different than i thought it did in august uh wesley hosts huntingdon as uh those teams uh have played uh some not so competitive games in the past maybe huntingdon can uh change that uh we mentioned earlier that uh delval is playing uh lyco and stevenson's playing widener uh, Christopher Newport's at Methodist. That's a game that uh, has been fairly competitive in the past. And it's there haven't been too many times in which the winner of the USA South has run the table or even had the uh, won the regular season championship outright. So I'd be surprised if CNU runs the table this year either. Uh, Augustana is at Wheaton. Uh, Johns Hopkins at Juniata, co. at Buena Vista. And Buena Vista has been uh, a little bit surprisingly... Uh, good so far this year. Um, you know, we could pick out a lot of games outside the top twenty-five. Catholic goes to Hampton, Sydney, Emery and Henry is at Randolph-Macon. Emory and Henry, you know, Keith, we talked about them a lot last week, and they didn't play this week. But their conference schedule starts after they went three and zero against you know three members of the USA South.
1: Yeah, and, and Randolph-Macon didn't play this week either, so uh, no advantage there. And the the jackets are a little. Kind of hard to figure out because a uh, big loss in the opener to Johns Hopkins and then beat Averett and Bethany pretty handily. And, and, you know, the reason we're intrigued by this at all, uh, besides personal reasons, is um, <laughs> the, the ODAC is just always it's, a, it's such a hard conference to figure out. You know, that's kind of the calling card in the ODAC is that they may not have a dominant team that will go to the Stag Bowl. Um, but they always have uh, a great conference race and it's getting ready to get underway. And, and, you know, we're looking at, could it be Bridgewater? Could it be Catholic? Could it be Hamden sydney Washington Lee? Guilford might be good. And and it could be either of these buzzing, flying teams that meet on Saturday as well.
0: Buzzing, flying teams. I suspect, uh, I I think I see a trend or a a question for next Friday's triple take. Uh, Pacific is at Whitworth. We have Carol at Lake Forest and there was another game as of these 120-some that I was scrolling past here that I thought was interesting and has uh, clearly escaped me. We mentioned the Ithaca-Hartwick game earlier in the podcast uh, and uh, Baldwin-Wallace is at Otterbein, Redlands at Occidental, uh, Capital at John Carroll. Stop me if you've heard this one before.
1: I'll stop you because if you made it this far on the podcast, you're you're... wonderful fan
0: and uh, we appreciate it that is the around the nation podcast for the week of september 30th 2013 don't forget to get those play of the week nominations in by 5 p.m eastern time on monday